we've been going through this um, sermon series on First Peter. And when you get into the meat of First Peter, uh, it gets, by its nature, and really kind of by Peter's nature, it starts to get a little controversial, especially in the culture that we live in. The last couple of weeks, last week and then prior to Christmas, we were preaching through First Peter 2 and 3, where Peter's really talking about uh, the area of authority and, the, and coupled with the submission. So submission to authority, and how does that play out in the life of a believer? And in what areas? And what, is the, what does the Bible say about that? And, and what is God's plan for that really as it relates to these different areas? And last week we looked at the area of the home. Home, marriage, family. God's created order in that. Uh, I will tell you on the onset, um, I usually get kind of average amount of feedback, I would say, probably after a sermon, which is fine. I appreciate people's comments. I definitely appreciate uh, encouragement. And I even appreciate, you know, the critique or the questions or, or even challenges, you know, like, have you thought this through? And I've had those over the years, and, and that's all well and fine. Last Sunday after the service, I got kind of a barrage of feedback. And you guys are all staring at me like, where, where is this going? Where's this feedback going? I want to tell you it was really good. And it exposed some things that as a local family of God, I think that we need to stop and address. Uh, because the, if I can kind of consolidate that feedback, it kind of spoke to me this way. Can you give us some application? Can we slow down and just, like, how, how, how can we just apply all of these things that Peter's saying? And uh, not just Peter, but we kind of couple together both what Peter and Paul say uh, on this topic. And no doubt it's controversial in our culture. Uh, no doubt that even in a room this size, there's a wide variety of ways that, that these verses are viewed and also applied. Uh, I think that uh, as we approach those things, and I know even as I've approached them, I've had to just say, all right, Lord, I want to I kind of just set aside all of my, you know, if I have anything that's preconceived, this is my prayers as I'm studying. If I have anything that's preconceived, either in what I understand or how I apply it, I want to set that aside and just let you speak fresh and new through these verses. And I think that's a, a good way to start into some of this stuff. Um, I'll also tell you that on the onset, um, this message was probably harder to prepare for than probably any other. And here's the reason why. Uh, I was asked to use some of the examples in our own home um, to do that. And I don't typically like to talk about us. I mean, I will like on a one-on-one, but I, I don't, because I don't want to, here's what I want to do, Dennis, is I want to come down here. And, and Dennis, when he has preached in the past, he will always preach down here because it's a signal for you guys that he's not above you. And I really should be doing the same thing in this. Is that We've struggled as a family. I'll tell you from the onset. We, none of the things that, that we, have we done perfectly that we're going to talk about, but it's things that we, uh, that we would strive to accomplish as God was leading us when it comes to understanding and then living out authority in the home and living out as a family uh, under God's authority. And so uh, I'm not going to stand down on the floor because 
I don't have eyes in the back of my head like my mom does, and I can't see my sermon notes. Right, Mother? Second thing I want to say in, uh, in the go forward is I don't want to overlook the reality that there's a wide variety of tough circumstances represented in this room. What do I mean by that? Let's be real. We're a family. We have husbands that have gone astray. We have wives that have gone astray. We have difficult things that we've walked through that, that may leave some of you wondering, like, so where do I fit into this thing? Or maybe I'm older and, and, and I don't really have anybody living with me in the home. Or maybe I'm single. How does that apply to me? And some of these tough circumstances, I think that there's a great verse in the Bible. I've shared this with people many times. And that verse is found in Psalm 68. It's actually two verses. 68, 5, and 6. Because God puts you, if you find yourself in that category of life, in a tough situation, either abandoned or, or uh, single or whatever the case is, kind of feel like you're out there floating on your own and don't have authority in your life. Well, to start with, you do have authority in your life. That part's not true. But God describes himself through the King David in a, in a particular way. Because he calls himself a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. I'm reading actually at the NIV because I like the, the, the... Verse 6 is hard to understand, I think, in different versions. So I chose this, and I usually don't do that, but I chose it out of the NIV. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellion live in a sun-scorched land. And so if you are, for whatever reason, in that category, first of all, I want you to say that, that uh, uh, God sees you in a special spot. God sees you in a special spot and in a special way. And if you've been abandoned for whatever reason, God calls himself your father. And he's the defender of those widows uh, that are out there. So I just wanted to start with that and then move on a little bit to say a little bit of maybe our experience. Uh, we had great people in our lives when we were uh, newly married or even before we were married. Tammy and I did. And uh, we, had, we had great influence that taught us what the Word says in regard to authority. So these First Peter 3 passages... Um, about submission in the home, about leadership in the home. Those were not new when we got married. But we heard a testimony from a guy from Canada that we, we heard him at the old Christian Workers Conference. He was an author, a funny guy. He's, he's, he's absolutely hilarious. His name's Phil Calloway. And he wrote this book, and we grabbed it, and we read it as, uh, as young people, as young married couple. And it's, uh, the title of the book is, We Used to Have Answers, now we have kids. If you're a parent, you know that that's a true statement, right? How many can say amen to that? Like, you had all of the answers, and then all of a sudden somebody comes out of the bathroom with a pregnancy test, and you're like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? And uh, anyway, um, in that conference, in that 
session, Phil gave his testimony of how he and his wife, uh, they didn't come from any background, any spiritual background or, or heritage uh, in the Christian faith. And so they both become believers and got married or vice versa, one or the other, but they were both believers before they had kids. And they, uh, they were like, you know, neither of our families um, believe this, so, so how are we going to operate our home? How are we going to raise our kids? And uh, they came up with this novel idea, very unique, uh, really kind of a strange thought, and that is they simply decided to read the Bible and do what it says. It's amazing what happens when we do that. And that statement, that testimony kind of prompted Tammy and I in that same sort of a way, is that um, uh, Tammy comes from a family, a broken home, and uh, although her parents split when she was in college, uh, there's still that effect, even though you're not at home, there's still that life, we still live with the uh, consequences that other people have made, right? I come from a home where uh, up until... My dad accepted the Lord just a month before he passed away, but the, the majority of my upbringing was with a mom who was a Christ follower, was a, a, you know, taught Sunday school, led worship, did VBS, all of those sorts of things in ministry, and my dad had wanted nothing to do with it. And so we come from these, you know, uh, typical places. Let's just call it that. In our culture, it's a typical scenario for a lot of us. And, and I want to be sensitive to that. On the other hand, I want to dive in, and I think that we're better served when we focus in on just doing what the Bible says. In a world of failed answers, and that's where we live right now, we live in a world of failed answers. Uh, Following Jesus in everything is the road that is less traveled. But here's the reality. It's the one that's the most rewarding in the end. It might not seem that way on the front end. It might not seem that way in the midst of a a tribulation or a trial or persecution in our lives. But it is true, because God says it's true, it's the most rewarding. So I'm going to try to thread in a lot of uh, application. Um, I will say there's a particular place that I'm going with this, especially for the fathers. And uh, there's these statistics Do we have those statistics, Katie? Did you put them up there? All right. Everybody listen up. People remember 10% of what we read. You will remember 10% of what you read. I thought that that was crazy. These statistics kind of bear out. We remember 20% of what we hear. We remember 30% of what we see. 50% of what we see and hear. 70% of what we discuss with others. 80% of what we personally experience. And then there's this last stat. You will remember 95% of what you teach other people. 95%. There's a reason that God has a plan for His people, an orderly plan for His people and an orderly plan for the home, and an order, in that orderly plan is a plan for the husbands to teach their kids. 
There's something that's going on here that's dynamic on Wednesday night that we've not done before in a, any kind of a consistent fashion. And this guy did not know that I was going to talk about this. But there's a, a lot of mentoring that goes on on Wednesday nights out of the Monday night high school group. There's mentoring that goes on in the Wednesday Awana time. Pete Whittakin, raise your hand, Pete, real quick for you. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. Put that thing up high in the air. Pete has taken upon himself, and I really appreciate this, and I haven't even told him this personally, but I do appreciate the fact that he takes our teenagers and he's working with them on how to teach. He's working with them, on, and so he'll plug them in in Wednesday night. And sometimes, hey, it's a little, no offense to you teenagers that have been teaching, sometimes it's a little rocky, but it's always a good it's always a good lesson. Most of the time, it's been well thought through and well delivered and well applied. And I really appreciate that. And it's a really, it was a model, as I was preparing for this, it's a model of how each husband really, and several of the kids are Pete's that he's doing this with, each of us husbands should be doing that with our own. 95% of what we teach others, we're going to remember uh, so what's the starting point here? How did Tammy and I get to kind of where uh, we are? And uh, I don't want this sermon to be about us. Uh, this sermon is about the Word. But the, but the request was put in on the application side. And so I want to try to run that track in a way um, where we can share both our experience, but mostly what the Word of God, uh, how it's led us, and... Uh, and got us to where we are. Uh, essentially, if I can summarize it this way, um, we read the Bible. Like I said, we had great people around us, great mentors. Um, Reuben's parents, Reuben over here, the guy that played the drums, the guy that's the real good drummer that only shows up once in a while. <laughs> if I can tease him a little bit. His mom and dad were awesome mentors of ours. Uh, they helped us through some of the darkest hours uh, that our family has experienced. But they've just been great brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, to encourage us along the way. Uh, but essentially, we read the Bible, we grappled with it, um, and had to come to these decision points. Are we going to take it for what it says? Are we going to manipulate it to what we want it to say? Uh, or are we going to throw it away? And I think every believer uh, at every major crossroads comes to that decision point. Do we take it for what it says? trust God with that? Do we mold it into our preconceived ideas of who we want God to be and how he wants us to be, uh, or do we walk away? And uh, we end up taking it for what it says. What it says essentially in these areas, and a little bit of summary from last week, is, is that God created men and women with equal value, but with different roles and responsibilities and duties. Equal value, equal value before the Father, but we have different roles and responsibilities. And, and I can't, that is, that is so pivotal. And it's pivotal for us to understand that our culture thinks that that is hogwash. But the truth is, I don't really care what our culture thinks. And we shouldn't, we should not care, as it were. We should understand what our culture is thinking. We should be able to discern what our culture's thinking. 
But if we let our culture, if we let this world influence how we understand the Bible, we're off on the wrong step to start with. So we read the Bible. We studied these different areas. We come to these conclusions, which I've threaded into last week's sermon. Equal value, but different roles, responsibilities, and duties. God's design for men is to lovingly preside, protect, for his family. To preside, to provide, and protect. We'll put it that way. To preside, in other words, to lead, to provide for, and protect his family. As he walks out, as they walk out, the dominion mandate that God has laid out in Genesis of caring for the earth, stewarding the planet, taking dominion over it, that's the man's role. God's design for the women is to respectfully submit, support, and to nurture. Submit, support, support the husband, and to nurture the family. Uh, Definitely controversial in our culture. But let me tell you this. If you just objectively read the Bible and take it for what it says, that will be the natural outcome of what you read. There's nowhere does it say anything different than that. Now, you can read in a lot, or I can read in a lot, or I can try to manipulate it to to fit what I already believe or what I've already experienced, or, or I can take my experience in life if I was abused by authority in some way, And I can say, well, that's not valid because this is my experience. But as I mentioned last week, we cannot discern the truth through our experience. We discern our experience in light of the truth of God. And in no way am I minimizing anybody that has been hurt or abused by authority. There has been unending amount of authority abuse over the years. But that does not cancel out what God's plan of authentic authority. We also believe that what was broken in the Garden of Eden, broken by sin, that God is in the process of restoring in the lives of His people. Primarily two things, relationship with Him and relationship with others. That's why the greatest commandment is, is to love God and to love the people that are around you. Because that's what was broken. That's what sin leads to. That's what not being under authority leads to. They had one thing that they could not do. And they were drawn to that one thing like a moth to a light. And they couldn't let it go. They couldn't not do it, I guess. I mean, they chose to. Definitely, they chose to. But as Eve was being tempted... Adam was standing there. I don't know. I'm not sure what he was doing. But he definitely wasn't leading his wife. I think we can all agree on that if we read the account in Genesis. So this foundational piece that I think that needs to be wove into as far as application goes really comes from the same context in 1 Peter 3. There's a particular verse there that I think that we can camp on today as well as a verse 
out of Ephesians chapter 5, and I referenced both of these uh, last week because there's great consistency, and actually we should be encouraged that there's great consistency in the Word of God. That's one of the arrows that the enemy or a world likes to throw at us is that, while the Bible's not very consistent, it's full of inconsistencies, lies, and so on and so forth. Actually, it's very consistent. So as we dive in to find out this key element and then how we can apply this key element, uh, let's turn to 1 Peter 3 and see what God's saying through Peter. 1 Peter 3, verse 13. Peter's been talking, obviously, about the order of authority in the home and uh, all that goes with that. And he pivots a little bit, but he, he pivots in a way that I think sets up this verse nicely, and it can be applied, obviously, in the home as well, and should be, actually. Verse 13 says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And here's our key verse for today. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For, it's better if <clears throat> for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Also, if you flip to Ephesians chapter 5, Verses 25 through 33 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And here's a key verse out of Ephesians 5. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loved his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, that the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband first point today that we understand, we must understand, we must embrace as Christ followers, authentic authority as we unashamedly put Jesus first. That's our, that's, that, that, that is the, that's the takeaway from these key verses, 1 Peter 3.15 and Ephesians 5.26. This idea of sanctify, if that seems like a, just a big Bible word to you, Here's the definition. It's to set apart or to, to declare holy, to consecrate, kind of an old-fashioned word that nobody really uses anymore. But the key is, the key is that what Peter's saying is he's not saying, hey, here's a good idea for you, dads. Here's a good idea for you, you know, leaders. You may want to think about it. Just a suggestion. He's not saying that. This is a command. This is an imperative. It's not an option one of five on how to live the Christian life. 
It's not an option one to ten. You choose on how you want to go. It's an imperative that as a Christ follower, that we are setting Christ apart, above, to preside over our lives. We can't have order in our lives if we don't have the person that created order and order in the universe and everything that flows down out of that to this very second. We cannot have order the way that God designed if we're not sanctifying the Lord God in our own hearts. Men, that starts with us first. Husbands, fathers, heads up. A lot of this is directed at us. So let's just... uh, Take it as such. There's a few other manuscripts that render this idea, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, as this. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Sanctify Jesus as Lord. So wipe away the five options or the ten over here. You have one. As a Christ follower, you have one option. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is working to this end uh, unstoppingly. That we would sanctify the Lord in our hearts. Setting Jesus apart from all other influences in our lives is the top priority of every believer. And let's be honest, who feels like that's a full-time job? Right? Am I wrong? It feels like a full-time job in today's society. Right? You know what I'm seeing, though? Is I'm seeing with the more chaos there is in our culture, and especially in our country, that is what's happening. People are finally saying, enough. That's enough. And they're pushing away all these other influences. Not only is it a top priority, but it's then also the highest calling of every Christian husband and father to see his family under God's authority and worshiping the Lord. That's the high calling of the priestly husband, father, and man of the home. This is our job, fellas. So if you want a a job description of a man of God, this is where we start. When you become a believer, your job as dad, your job as husband, your job as father is to put these principles in play as the leader of your home. No questions asked. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy at at all at times. Sometimes it's extremely difficult to do this. Sometimes there's a lot of baggage from the past in your life, in your wife's life, that has to be overcome. But we have a secret weapon. The power of the Holy Spirit cuts through all of the garbage can cut through all of the, 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 uh, the lies, cuts through all of the pain and all of the struggle to accomplish this idea in our hearts that God is set apart. But it's our high calling as husbands and fathers. So, I wanted to thread in some application. How did, how did I apply this? as a new believer and, and then getting married, being a leader of my home, how did, I will say that this is not something that dad just does for everybody, but it's, it's an application point that it was my job 
And guys, it's your job to lead your wife and your family, to lead them in this so that we're all moving together, that we're all understanding that this is what God's plan is for us. So I'll, I'll talk kind of almost kind of a little bit similar in the me, we category because uh, this is something that, that Tammy and I uh, had to be on the same page about. Like this was a non-negotiable when we met. Does she believe that these things are true? Does she believe what the Bible says about authority in the home? And it was a non-negotiable for her too, for her in evaluating me in this process, am I uh, the type of man that's going to lead the home? Right? So let's just be frank, parents, and especially parents of older kids, that's the, the, whatever you want to call it, courtship, dating, that's, the, that's what's going on and what should be going on in those years in the run-up to an engagement. There should be a lot of evaluation. Uh, the problem is in our culture, nobody wants to be evaluated on anything. We live in a culture that is like, snap, 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 reset, let's play the game again. Right? That's our cultural mentality. Right? Kind of the video game. Oh, reset. I died. Start over. So, practical things that we did. You wanted to know? Here's the rest of the story. Uh, I'll give you ten things and kind of fill in some blanks, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, we set the pattern for godly authority early in our home. We believed what the Bible said. We believed that, that, that as the head of the home, I'm under God's authority. Tammy's under my authority. Our kids will be under my authority. We set the pattern early. How did we set that pattern? There's a practical thing that we did. This may... Everybody's got a little different opinion, and I'm going to get way out on the limb here, but it worked marvelously. Before Michaela was born, we had decided that she was... Uh, we were not going to demand feed her, breastfeed her. We put her on a schedule, and... That schedule, obviously, in life has flexibility. But here's the result. At three days old, she was sleeping six hours a night. We set the agenda. As God set the agenda in us, we set the... That was just a practical thing. We did it with all three of our kids. I'll tell you what, guys, it's a blessing. Now, I'm a heavy... <laughs> amen. I'm going to get a few amens. I'm a heavy sleeper. So it takes like an 18-wheeler to hit the house for me to wake up sometimes. And uh, so I don't think it affected me as much as it affected Tammy in a positive way. But regardless, we set that agenda, we set the standard, we set this pattern of godly authority early on in the home. That's just one example. I could think of dozens of examples. Um, this point, great leaders are first great followers. Great leaders... Our first great followers never start at the top. You don't roll in, you know, top shelf. You start at the bottom. And so what we decided is that we're going to demonstrate God's authority in our own lives. We're going to talk about it. We're going, to, uh, we're going to bring it up. It's going to be an open conversation. It's going to be a good thing that's celebrated in our home, not something that is spooky, scary, or uh, has this kind of, you know, overtone of God's out to get you 
you know, so you better be good. Not that. But that God's good. God's good. And so we demonstrate, we, uh, we set out to demonstrate that God's authority is, is on, on our lives. That we don't get a pass as parents. We don't get a pass uh, when it comes to issues of sin or disobedience from God any more than our kids get a pass from us. And it takes this point, number three, parents being on the same page when it comes to the particulars. Parents being on the same page when it comes to the particulars. The enemy will use your kids to divide you, mom and dad. Let's understand that. Okay? They will work through that young person, the enemy will, to try to pull you apart, push you in different corners, make you at odds. You have to be on the same page when it comes to issues. God's orderliness in the word is what binds us together. We set out to talk and display the influence of the Holy Spirit on practical ways. This is another one of the things that kind of, parents don't know how to talk to their kids about the Holy Spirit's influence in your life. But it demonstrates in a way how, God, how God's authority then is walked out in our lives. How, it's, how God's authority and how He leads us and how He is changing and molding us how he's convicting all the things that the Holy Spirit's role is in our lives, how God comforts us, we talk about those things. We talk about the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. And it fills in a lot of the blanks as time goes on in the life of a family, in the marriage. Uh, Here's one thing that we really set out to do, and um, we push right up to the edge of this one, in, uh, and I don't know that there's an edge. I just say that facetiously. Um, but as a family, and as a couple particularly, uh, we chose to do ministry together. We chose to do ministry together. As much as, as, much as possible, uh, we did it together as a family. We did it. We, so you wonder why we're engaged on Monday and Wednesday nights? And how we, we've done this for how many years? 25? Probably? With Awana? 20 years. She's not only good at math, she's really good with the calendar. But we do ministry together because it's a demonstration as our kids are being raised that mom and dad are in on this thing. Right? Mom and dad are doing this. It's not dad overdoing his own thing or mom overdoing her thing. That we chose that the best demonstration is to do life together and to do that in, in, in the areas of ministry together. So small groups... Guess what? You know, we've done small groups, and guess who shows up? Our adult kids. <laughs> we do ministry. Uh, guess who's been there all along? Whether they were in the class or whether they were teaching the class or leading the class, we're doing it together. And so we're, we're, we're laying out these same principles. Uh, here's a powerful one, dads and moms. Um, so I have kind of a sub-thought to it. And that is this idea, some practical ways to demonstrate God's authority in our lives is to confess our sins. And my thought on that is is that parents that seek forgiveness, parents seeking forgiveness is a powerful demonstration of our faith and it breaks the power of hypocrisy that influences young adults 
to leave the faith. Parents, dads especially, if you think you're too good to apologize and seek forgiveness from your kids, you're going to lose them. That's the truth. If you're humble when you're wrong, if you're contrite when you sin, when you're in error, and you seek their forgiveness, you emphasize for them in their life that you are under authority and that you're walking out what the Bible says. But every young person that I've talked to, and I've talked to lots of young people, and lots that have have or are walking away from the faith, this issue is number one in their lives. No questions asked. The hypocrisy of parents will drive kids right away from the faith. And we have an opportunity to impact them in a positive way as, well, as long as we're willing to set our pride aside. Right? Because there's, where the enemy comes in to twist on this thing is he comes in this way and he says, he says, hey, 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 guess what? You know what? You're in charge. You have the right to run this how you want to run it. You, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to seek that young person's forgiveness. Aren't you the boss? Right? Aren't you in charge? And so we're tempted, and especially guys, we're tempted to back away from doing what we know is right. All the while for that young person, the hypocrisy starts to stack up in what they're seeing and what's demonstrated in their lives. And eventually they say, I don't want it. Confessing our sins is one of the greatest ways to show God's authority in the home. Uh, being transparent is kind of the uh, sister thought to confessing your sins. Being transparent about who you are, what you struggle with, what your goals are, all, all of these types of things are is, is, is akin to, and, and uh, some great friends of ours in the past who had a really rocky start to their marriage, um, all kinds of, I mean, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, you name it. I mean, they, they got married, they almost broke up, and they got back to it. And it's just, back, once, once they come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repented and started living for the Lord in the way that he described, one of their main objectives in raising their kids was to be transparent about their struggles. Because as much as they could want to, as much as, the, as much as they knew they couldn't prevent their kids from maybe going down that same path, there was not going to be a word unspoken about those struggles. And a lot of times, one generation tries to hide away all of the bad, tries to hide away all of the, the, the negative influence and the negative things that they go through just in hopes that the next generation won't go down that path. And that is really deceptive. That's just not the way it is. That's not the way life is. No, parents, fathers especially, we're way better off to have honest conversation that kids can handle, age appropriate, of course. We're way better off to have honest, transparent conversations with our kids about the things that we struggled with. They will, they will get that, and they will grab onto that, and they will eventually, maybe not at the time, but they will eventually appreciate your honesty and leadership in those areas, right? So being transparent. Um, 
The last two are kind of similar in a way. Um, but we talked often and op openly about preparing kids for adulthood. Um, you know, and they get in, especially into those, you know, junior high years. Hey, you're right around the corner. You know, you're five, six years from making lots of life decisions. And so, uh, just so you know, you know, our responsibility is to prepare you for that. Um, moms, you can have, this is a you know, golden opportunity to have great influence uh, to raise up godly young ladies. It's awesome. And I, and I think that we're doing, I'm not saying we're not doing these things. This is just straight up uh, where we are personally and what we've experienced. And uh, so we do see these things going on. But uh, don't hesitate. Uh, talk about the preparation for adulthood. Um, Tammy brought this quote to me, and it's great. One of the authors that we enjoy listening to, um, all of our kids have listened to him, Andy Andrews, says this. He says, don't settle for raising great kids. Raise kids that will be great adults. Right? Like, put the, put the target out there in life a little bit for them. Don't settle for just having awesome kids that will obey just because they're at home, and then the moment that they're out of the home, they're, you know, running around raising all kinds of problems. Have your target be to just raise kids that become great adults and God-fearing at that. Uh, talk, the last one is really to talk open, often and openly about a godly heritage. What does that look like? How are we doing? How can we do better? Moms and dads, it's not yours to just hide in the back room to talk about uh, or to discuss. But engage with your kids. Engage as a family and lead the discussion in that way. Again, I want to throw out the fact that we didn't do these things perfect. Um, we made mistakes along the way. Yet, despite maybe our missteps, um, God's been faithful to bring forth His good plan, which really leads us into Ephesians 5, where Paul teaches that very point. Ephesians 5, if we just read, again, Paul's talking about this idea of sanctification. As a, re, as a reality of what Jesus is doing in his church. And he's, <clears throat> he's always in the business. We have to understand this as Christians. We, Jesus is always in the business of sanctifying his people. Setting them apart. Setting them apart. Setting them apart. Setting them apart in the world. Well, that, you know, is going to start looking a lot different in the coming days, I suppose, uh, than it has in previous days and, and maybe even in our current history. But Jesus is always in the business of setting apart in the church. And the more that we embrace that truth, actually I think the easier it'll be. Ephesians 5 is a look into Jesus' relationship with his church, but it's also a pattern for us husbands to follow as we lead our family. So how do we do that? How do we lead our family apply these principles of submission and authority as we govern our family, fellas. We do it by this. We do it by embracing the cleansing power of Jesus and leading our family into those deeper waters, right? He does it by the washing of the word. Some great friends of ours, don't live in this area, so don't worry about guessing who they are. They really struggled in their marriage uh, long ago. They're about our age. Um, and, the, and the truth is, is and we all kind of know this, is that about five or six years into a marriage, it seems like 
that's where the heat gets turned up a little bit. That's where there's some struggles. You know, it kind of takes that long for the honeymoon phase. I'm sorry to tell you guys this now. I should have told you this a few years ago. Um, (laughs) Here we go. Don't worry, we'll discuss it. (laughs) Over lunch. Uh, But they were, this couple was really having a tough time. And they'd grown apart. Uh, they'd, they, they, they'd, kind of, they'd kind of drifted. And she got into uh, some uh, uh, doing kind of her own thing. Uh, wasn't illegal. Uh, she actually kind of got into the arts, drama, that whole crowd. And the next thing you know, and, and I ended up inadvertently kind of intertwined into this thing, uh, because I pulled up to a gas station, and she was in a rig with a guy that was not her husband. And I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And it went from bad to worse. And she ended up taking off with this guy for a little bit. she come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that what she was doing was sinful. What she was doing was, was uh, uh, you know, that God hated, that she needed to get right with God, and she needed to get right with her husband. So they did. They, they come back together and made it work. And in talking with them, and we kind of lived this whole story out with them, and in talking with them and having dinner with them in the aftermath, and as they come together, and it was, and it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful picture of reconciliation. I, I, one of the all-time favorites in my life of seeing a husband and wife actually come back together. Powerful testimony, powerful witness now, raising godly kids. And, uh, but anyway, in talking with those two, in, and I never forget when he shared with me this thing. He shared this verse, and he shared with me what God was telling, because he was not this like upfront leader. He was passive. He had been passive. He had, he had let her kind of run the show, kind of dictate the agenda, all of those sorts of things. And, but as he kind of started to grapple with and, and get a hold of, of what God had called him to do, he grappled with this verse out of Ephesians 5. And he said the very, he told me this in hindsight, he said the very first thing I just started to do is I just started to read the Bible to my wife. He says it seems overly simplistic, but he said it's been one of the most powerful things that we could ever embrace as a couple. So he read, and guess what happened? Reading something together spawns conversation. Conversation then builds relationship. And their relationship needs a lot of rebuilding in a fresh direction. He washed her with the word, just like Jesus does with the church. We embrace God's good plan of cleansing, renewal, and holiness by teaching our kids that God's glory is reflected through us as His holiness is in us. You get that point? That's, that's and, and guys, in, in leading our homes, we have, the, we have the platform, as it were, we have the responsibility, as it is, to demonstrate this for our kids and for our wife. Right? That, this idea that, that God's glory is going to be reflected through us because His holiness is in us. That brings out the orderly peace that God's looking for. We do it by leading our families with consistency of word and action. 
consistency in word and action and leading our families with this idea because a lot of times these things bring up a lot of thoughts of drudgery. But we do it with a good attitude, right? It's awesome to serve the Lord together. It's awesome to be married. It's awesome to be... Our culture, it downplays marriage. Fewer people are getting married. Fewer families are having kids. We had this discussion uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago. The birth rate in our country is falling to a dangerous spot. Do we realize that? Like we can't, if it keeps falling, we won't be able to keep up. All because the principles of a godly marriage, what a marriage is designed for, what a marriage reflects, all of that has a negative tone in our culture. And their culture is constantly trying to bypass what God says about marriage and family and authority in the home and create their new paradigm. The impact of these things for future generation is, uh, is huge. If your kids hear you talking about how bad it is, um, why would they get excited to live in the same way? Why would they be excited? If, if, if uh, you know, I'm going to use this phrase uh, only as an example. Uh, it, was, it was commonly said when I was growing up, you know, and uh, ladies do not take offense because I'm only using this as an example. But when a guy says in front of his kids, here comes the old ball and chain, and a few chuckles come out. What are we telling our sons about their future wives? What are we telling our daughters about their future husbands? That's when I talk about attitude, that's what I'm talking about. You're setting the tone. You're setting the example, good or bad. We talk in those terms. And there's a correlation between a leader's example and a follower's motivation to follow. Right? Do you guys get that? There's a correlation. There's a straight line between uh, uh, an example from the leader, dad, and a follower's motivation to follow. Robbie reminded me of this quote. A little shout out to Bud. Is he here? There he is. <laughs> he thought for once if he was gone, he was going to escape being in a sermon, but he's right there in a white box. He brought up this quote because we were talking about some of these dynamics this week on the phone. He talked about this quote, so I'm going to share this from you. And that's a quote from the movie Remember the Titans, a football movie. The, the high school, it's based on a real events, real people uh, during the time of integration. And, and so uh, uh, this high school took on uh, this, the first time ever that they had had white and black kids in the same school. And that played out on the football field as well. And in the midst of the controversy, in the midst of the struggle and the tension, in the midst of all that was going on with all of that, this phrase comes out, and it ring, should ring in our ears, and that is, is that attitude reflects leadership. So the attitude of the family is going to reflect, dads, where you take it. The attitude is going to reflect in a way that you carry yourself, in the way that you prioritize life for your family, in the way that you, that you lead them, if you lead them with the Word of God or not with the Word of God. 
if you think that the world sucks and everything's going to hell, guess what? Your kids are going to grow up and think that the world sucks and everything's going to hell. If you think that the world's going in the perfect direction and we're all coming together in unity and going to be one big global family and you, propose, and you, you know, continue to, to encourage and promote those ideas, guess what's going to happen? Your kids are going to kind of gravitate to that. If your kids have an attitude, a negative attitude about being involved in church, about being involved in ministry, if they have a negative attitude towards the Word of God, where did they get that? And the reverse is true as well. If your kids love to talk about the Bible, if they love to be engaged in ministry, if they love to be involved in the life of the local fellowship, where did they get that? They're getting it from us. So attitude is critical. Ultimately, I guess you could summarize it this way, that the buck stops with me. The buck stops with you, husband, you fathers. The buck stops with me. I embraced that as the truth even before I got married. So it kind of made it easier, if it will. It kind of made it uh, uh, a lot easier to understand that I'm responsible for this lady and these three kids, right? Until leave and cleave. They're under my care. Morgan's under my care. Michaela, she belongs to Jonathan. That was a good time. Robbie, him and Katie. He's running his own show. He's running, you're running your own show. He's running his own family, as it were, upstart and as young and fresh as it is. But all of these types of principles is what we laid out for them over the course of conversation in their 18 to 20 some years. That's how we got to where we are. We didn't shy away from it, didn't talk, you know, around it. We just simply approached it and talked through it as it happened in life. But obviously the buck stops with me. The sooner that men and young men embrace that truth, the better off it will be. What God has called us to, fellas, He will empower us through. That's the truth. He called you to be a husband and a father. We have a young couple over here that's engaged. Give them a hand. One of the things I know about Reuben, one of the things I know about Reuben is, is that what God has called him to, to be the husband, leader of his home, he knows also, correct, that God will empower him and lead him in that. That he doesn't have to, you know, wish and wonder and fret and stew that he has in his own hand and on his lap a manual, God's very word speaking to him, that he has not only the word of God in hand, but he has what every Christ follower has, which should bring great consistency in the church. Great consistency. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. 
that the same Holy Spirit that, that spoke to me as a young man leading up to marriage, that same Holy Spirit is teaching Reuben the same thing. It's teaching Reuben the same principles. It's leading him in the same way. It should be celebrated. It should be understood. It should be talked about more and more and more. It's a great picture in the Old Testament as we close. And, and uh, the third point that I wanted to bring out is really this. Because it really is a simple message in a complex world. And I think that, but there's great power in it. And uh, it's simply this, love God, love others, and do good. Love God, love others, and do good. If you love God, you'll follow what he says. That's what Jesus teaches us in the Gospels, right? If you love me, you'll do as I say. You will follow my commands. As he's following the Father, we should be following him. Loving God, loving others, and doing good. A story out of Deuteronomy 6. It's a great look into doing life as a family. It should give you a glimpse into both the authority structure, but also how it's played out by putting God's word first in everything. Deuteronomy 6 starts out to say, and the worship team can come on up if they wish. Now this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord God has commanded to teach you. That you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God. To keep all of his statutes, his commandments, which I commanded you. You and your son and your grandson all of the days of your life. That your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. There's not a more powerful testimony that a mom and dad can have in the life of their kids. There's not a more powerful testimony that a husband can have in front of his wife than to do these words, to live this word out this way. These words which I commanded you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. A small insertion coming out of the book of Revelation. If you wonder where Satan will get the idea to apply the mark of the beast. He gets it here because he's the great counterfeiter. The great counterfeiter that our culture and our world is running headlong into. But God applies it this way. He applies these things in our hearts that should be lived out with our hands 
and how we think. And dads, that's up to us. That's up to us to do that in the life of our family. Not to outsource. Not to put it off as somebody else's responsibility. But to embrace it as our own. There's a caution at the end of this. It says this. So so shall it be when the Lord your God brings you into the land. The land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. And you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. Husbands and fathers, if I can give you one more piece, is that we don't have an option to uh, isolate away from the culture. They did not isolate away from They didn't do it all right. We know the rest of the story. But they were commanded to live in such a way in the midst of the culture so that they reflected God's goodness and His glory. So that they demonstrated that they were serving Him. That they were doing it in an orderly way. That they demonstrated that God's Word is right on the heart. That's a reflection that He's looking for. He's still looking for that reflection from us. He's still seeing that reflection from us. So don't take this as all a negative and that we get a poor grade. I'm trying to encourage you to keep going. Keep going. Keep going. The cultural influence is going to continue to come. Right? That part's not going to change. The other gods that they lived in amongst did not change. But Israel, like us, is always at a decision point of how they're going to lead their wife and kids as families, as groups of families. As, and, and, and Israel is essentially one big family, so this is really in the context of family. It's also a nation, but as it be, we're also a nation, the nation of God. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep making a difference. And keep preparing your kids and your family for the future. You can't be more serious or sober about that. I think we're stepping into some pretty dark days. Not because I watch the news. Not because it's running 24 hour in my home. Not because I'm picking everything off of the internet. But if you can get the feel for the culture, if you can get the feel for the people... If you, can see the ch- if you can't see the change in people in our culture in the last year and a half or more, uh, you're missing something. Because our culture has changed dramatically. And the main thing about our culture that's under attack really is this area of biblical authority. So keep pressing forward. Keep doing what the Bible says. If you're unsure, dive in. If you don't have one of these, we will give you one. We'll give you a dozen. We'll give you all that you need. 
We'll give you one for every day of the week. You want to read a different Bible every week. It doesn't matter. I mean, these, these things are, these things are, you know, well, on one hand, it's priceless. On the other hand, in reality, it doesn't cost that much. Like, get the free app on your phone, whatever. Get in the Bible is what I'm saying. Get yourself into the Bible. Check it out for yourself, just like we talked about this young gal from last week that was challenged. Just get in the Bible and see what it says. If you don't think I'm accurate, I'm fine with you not thinking that. But you get into the Bible and dig it out for yourself. That's what we've done now for all these years. That's what's gotten Tammy and I to the point that we're in right now. It's not just taking what somebody else says, but digging in and seeing what it says, and then living it out. We have a responsibility to live it out, and we're going to live it out in the culture that we're in. And here's the reason why, and I'll close with this, because God chose you to live right now. God chose you to be a Christ follower. If you're a believer, he chose you to live right now in these times. So we have no, we have no choice in that. It's time to step up and live out what the Bible says. And uh, with excitement, with a good attitude. So we have a great ending. Like, if you think that most of this is bad news, read the ending because the ending is, the ending of this story is really cool. It's really awesome, right? Let's let's uh, all stand. Let's sing our last song and uh, pray and get out of here. Mm-hmm.